0: Turning in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, the title of my message this morning is uh, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and we're going to see this morning the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Now remember the order of the book of Revelation, we've talked about this on other Sundays also. We saw that the first chapter of the book of Revelation is talking about um, uh, the unveiling of Jesus Christ and he gets in the first century in the island of patmos he's on the it's the lord's day he's in the spirit and what happens is he gets a full on vision of Jesus Christ and he sees the unveiling of the glorified Christ on this island of patmos and then we see in chapters 2 and 3 it, we we see seven messages to the seven churches And what happens is, these seven churches are given messages by Jesus himself, and those messages just aren't for those seven churches, because it's not church, it's churches, plural. And what it's it's talking about is, these messages are for the church in the first century, but they're also messages for the church in the 21st century, and went through all seven of those churches. Now, what we're going to see is a transition. And it says in chapter 4, verse 1, two times in the first verse, after these things, after these things, in one verse. After what things? After the church. After the church age. And then we see in chapters 4 and 5, we saw the last two weeks, we saw John is brought through a door in heaven, and he's raptured actually up into heaven to get a glimpse of heaven, and to get a glimpse also of the rapture that's coming at the end of the church age. And soon and very soon, I think that rapture is going to happen. All the signs are in place for us to be raptured as a church right now. Israel's a nation again. There's a one world global economy going on. There's all kinds of things happening. We're going to and fro like never before, like Daniel said we would at the end of the age. We're having an information explosion in our world today. Can you say Google? And, and it's, we're seeing all the things take place that need to take place for the church to be raptured and the great tribulation to start. So today, we begin the great tribulation. Now, we're going to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and you're saying, what in the world is that all about? Let me tell you what it's all about. What it is, is it's the four seasons of the Antichrist. And what we're going to see is we're going to see an overview of what the Antichrist is going to do on four seasons of the Great Tribulation, which is the seven-year Great Tribulation that will happen at the, at, after the rapture. So let's jump right in. with that background in mind, turn to Revelation chapter 6, and we'll see this, this whole overview of the Great Tribulation. Now, some people don't believe the church is going to be raptured before the Great Tribulation. I believe the church will be raptured before the Great Tribulation because we're called the Bride of Christ. And we're going to see as we get into this Great Tribulation that it's a a horrific time. It's a time like the world has never seen before. It's a time of God bringing judgment to the world. Last week, we saw that Jesus Christ was taking back the title deed of the earth— from the Father, and he's establishing his reign again. But before he comes back in Revelation 19, he has to bring God's judgment to this world. And that's what's happening during the seven years of great tribulation. God is judging the world. Now you need to understand, God is omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. What does that mean? He knows all things, he's all powerful, and he's, he's everywhere. And so what God has seen for the last millenniums is he's seen every act of evil, He's seen every murder. He's seen every rape. He's seen every child molestation. And God is a God of love, yes. But he's a God of justice also. And it's time for him to bring justice to this world and judgment to this world. And that's what the great tribulation is really about. We're going to see seven seals of judgment. We're going to see seven trumpets of judgment. And then we're going to see seven bowls of his wrath being poured out upon the earth, bringing his judgment to this world. And we're going to see also that there's this Antichrist that's going to come on the scene. And the Antichrist is going to be the world leader that's going to take over the world. And he's going to be just a pawn in God's hand. But God, for the seven years of Great Tribulation, is going to let this Antichrist come on the scene and become this world leader that's going to take over the world. He'll be a world leader economically. He'll be a world leader politically. He'll be a world leader, listen, even religiously. It'll bring in this great tribulation. Now, we're told about this great tribulation in other parts of Scripture too. Jesus talked about it Matthew 24, 21. He said, for then there will be a great tribulation. There it is right there. Such as not occurred. Throw it up on the screen, Matthew 24, 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not has occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor will ever be. Then uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul talked about the great tribulation. He said, for you yourselves know full well That the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is, is a great tribulation, will come just like a thief in the night. And while they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Daniel, the prophet, talked about it. Daniel 9, 27, he said, And he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations... Will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed and is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Alas, Jeremiah said, Jeremiah thirty-seven. For that day is great, so that there is none like it. And the time—look at this—the time of Jacob's trouble shall be, but he shall be saved out of it. Now, you said, I didn't come to church to get all this judgment stuff. I came to church to be encouraged. I came to church just to have some warm fuzzies that'll take me through the week. Why are we studying great tribulation? Why is this important to study? Let me tell you why it's important to study. Because as we study this, the next several weeks of great tribulation, it should put a a desire in your heart to be right with God. Because if you don't get right with God, you're gonna get left. And if you're not right with God and you aren't walking with God, And you're not saved. You're going to be a part of this mess that's coming. And also it's important to study this great tribulation. Listen. Because it should put a sense of urgency in the heart of every Christian that is right with God. i got to get the message out to people I care about so that they're not in this mess when it happens in this great tribulation. It should put an urgency in our heart to fulfill what Jesus said. Go and preach the gospel of all creation. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them and observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. It should put an urgency in our heart to you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses, right? And also, listen, this, this rapture that's going to happen to us before the Great Tribulation, that's our blessed hope. That if you're a believer, you're going to be taken out of here. And also, as believers, I believe as you study this, Great Tribulation, as we're going to study the next several weeks, it should scare the hell out of us. And what do I mean by that? Please don't write me emails that Pastor John swore in the pulpit. The word hell is used all throughout the New Testament. And it should scare the hell out of us. Why? Because if we got hell in us, it's time to get it out of us. So we're right with God before we see Christ face to face and this judgment begins. And I, that's my goal. I want to I scare the H out of you this morning so that when you leave here, you're going to have a greater desire to be holy. Amen. Holy. Amen. Because that's, that's our, our calling. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we might declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if there's stuff you need to get right with God, Get it right, because I don't know about you. When I get raptured, I don't want to be. Oh, I'm in this mess. I want to be walking with the Lord. Amen. I don't be right with God. Amen. Amen? Amen. All right, let's study it now. Chapter six, verse one. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as was with a voice, thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, we're seeing four seasons of the Antichrist that's going to come on the scene at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. The first season here of the Antichrist is he comes on a white horse. Now, that's interesting because some people even believe this is Jesus coming, but Jesus doesn't come to the end of the Great Tribulation. Revelation chapter 19, the white horse is the Antichrist because the word Antichrist is not just against Christ, the word is also instead of Christ. He's a counterfeit Christ. And just as Christ in Revelation 19 is coming on a white horse, so the Antichrist is going to be the counterfeit savior of the world coming on a white horse. And it says a bow was given to him. That's interesting too, because a bow is there, but there's no arrows. And there's no arrows because his first stage of getting leadership is he's going to come on a white horse with peace. Actually, it says Daniel nine twenty seven. he's going to make a peace treaty. He says he's going to confirm a covenant with many for one week, one week representing the seven years. And what he's going to do is he's going to come on the scene, and he's going to have a peace treaty, a covenant, and I believe it's going to be a covenant, a peace treaty, between Muslim world and Jew, Jewish world. And he's going to be an amazing diplomatic, because for thousands of years that has not happened. And what he's going to do is he's going to help the Jewish nation, according to Revelation 11, he's going to help the Jewish nation rebuild their temple in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And that Temple Mount is going to be right next to, I believe, the, the uh, holy place, the Dome of the Rock, where the Muslims still have control over on the Temple Mount. And there's going to be Muslims in the Dome of the Rock worshiping side by side with Jews at the rebuilt Temple And it's going to be amazing. And the world's going to be amazed by this diplomat that's actually brought peace between Jewish nation and Muslim nations. And that's going to be how he's going to get his fame. That's how he's going to get his leadership. That's how he's going to get his control of the whole world, bringing peace like this, coming on a white horse, conquering, conquering through peace. Interesting. Adolf Hitler, when he got his reign, he didn't start with concentration camps. You know where he started? He started with a message of peace. And he started with his message of peace in the 1930s during the Great Depression when Germany had just been wrecked by World War I. And he came and said, hey, if you follow me, I will not only bring peace to Germany, I'll bring prosperity like it's never seen before. And he got his conquering ability through declaring peace in the midst of depression, Great Depression. That's exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to come with this message of peace, prosperity. He's going to come on a white horse. He's going to have this bow with no arrows because it's all about just peace treaties between Jew and and Muslim, and he's going to get world dominion through a message of peace. Interesting. And then it goes on, verse 3, and when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another red horse went out, and him who sat on it was granted to take peace from the earth, that men should slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So he comes with peace, but once he gets dominion, and he conquers, then he brings a reign of terror. That's what the red horse represents, uh, the, the reign of bloodshed. And he brings now war from peace, he brings war, interesting, and it says that as he brings war... He's going to take the peace from the earth, he's going to slay people with a great sword. Now, many Bible scholars believe the great sword could possibly be nuclear weapons, and he's going to wipe out nations that are in renegade position. Now, question, why isn't the United States of America really mentioned throughout prophetic scripture as part of the nations that will be under the Antichrist? I believe the answer to that is twofold. I'm hoping the first answer is true too. Well, I think one of the reasons why the United States will not be a world power and under the dominion of the Antichrist is because I'm praying for a great revival where so many people come to Christ in the United States of America, when the rapture happens, the United States becomes a prairie land again. Wouldn't that be awesome? And I, we need to be a part of making that happen as a church, revival, and bring forth such revival that so many people get saved across a great awakening happens, and then the rapture happens, and we're all out of here. But I think there's another reason why the United States might not be mentioned as one of the nations under the Antichrist, because we see, as we, as we go through the book of Revelation, we'll see there's a 10-nation confederacy under the Antichrist's reign. The United States is in there. It's a, it's a resurrected Roman empire. The United States isn't even mentioned. I think revival might be one reason we're all raptured out here. The second reason might be the United States might be a renegade nation. And we might be one of the nations that says, we're not going to come under a one world leader. You know, the United States has always been kind of a renegade. I think the United States people have always kind of been renegade, haven't we? We've always been, you know, American Revolution, everything. We go from the beginning. We oh, talk about renegade. How about South Carolina? <laughs> renegade state. Right? I love it. I, lo- I love rebels. And, 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 and I think we might possibly be one of the re- rebellious nations when the Antichrist comes. And we say, we're not going to come under your world dominion. And then he's going to bring a great sword and wipe out this country. And very likely could be. Now again, we're not going to be there here when that happens. As Christians, if you're a Christian, you're going to be raptured out of here before that great sword comes. But I think that great sword is going to be in place because it's going to bring war on those nations that rebel against him. Interesting, I was reading Skip Heising, and he was talking about this, uh, this, this Antichrist. And he, he said this about the Antichrist as he was, he was talking about the Antichrist. He said, uh, the Antichrist will have the oratorical skill of a John Kennedy. He'll have the inspirational power of a Winston Churchill. He'll have the determination of a Joseph Stalin, and he'll have the vision of a Karl Marx. He'll have the respectability of a Gandhi, the military prowess of a Douglas MacArthur, the charm of a Will Rogers, the genius of a King Solomon, and even so, he'll be nothing but a counterfeit Messiah who attempts to manufacture a counterfeit second coming, and he'll attempt to replace Jesus Christ. And I think enough of America, even after the rapture, there's enough of a Christian heritage and foundation in our country that people will reject the Antichrist and could be taken off the map by the great sword that he's going to bring and the war that he's going to bring against those that rebel against him. So third phase now, we go from white peace, red war. Now we go to the next, next thing, and that's the black horse. Verse 3, and says, And when he broke the third seal... I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard, as it were, a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and the third quart, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil in the wine. Now, this is the third horseman. The third horseman is a black horse, and it's representing famine. And that's not unusual. What happens oftentimes after war? Famine. Countries get just totally wiped out. Even, you know, if you think about it it as a nuclear warfare, can you imagine not only people being wiped out, but the whole environment being wiped out? And it makes sense that famine would be a part of the next season of the Antichrist. And also, listen, the famine is going to be something that Antichrist is going to use to get his world dominion also. Because he says he's going to have a pair of scales. What does the pair of scales represent? Rationing. There'll be rationing of food to the point that to buy one quart of, of uh, wheat, it's going to cost a denarius. A denarius is a laborer's wage for a full day. What is that equivalent to today? About 100 bucks. A laborer's wage for one day, about 100 bucks. Can you imagine? One quart of wheat makes one loaf of bread. To make one loaf of bread during this period of famine, it's going to take 100 bucks for a loaf of bread. And then this Antichrist, what he's going to do is he's going to ration this food out. And we'll see in a few weeks in Revelation 13, what he's going to do is he's going to, he's going to ration it out and he's going to give a mark. And the mark's going to be on the hand and on the forehead. And the only way you can get food and buy and sell and have food for your family is if you take his mark. Now, if people get saved during the Great Tribulation, they will. There will be Christians during the Great Tribulation that get saved during that period. They'll be warned by an angel, we'll see later in Revelation, an angel will go to all the Christians and warn, don't take the mark of the beast. Because if you take the mark of the beast, you're aligning yourself with the Antichrist and you're worshiping the Antichrist and not Jesus Christ. And so that's the next ploy of the Antichrist, is he's going to be rationing food out and he's only going to be giving food to those people that take his mark and come under his leadership. Interesting, interesting. And you know what? Our world system's going that way, isn't it? Think about the technology we have today. You know, what are, we, what are they doing to our pets already? Is your, is your doggy chipped? Yeah. And, and, and they put, put the identification of our pets inside our pets so they'll know where our pets are at when they run away, right? I'm okay with it. Don't, don't think your, your pets are going to be under the control of the Antichrist, okay? Don't think that. But I'm just making this point. It's okay to have our pets chipped, I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the technology is already flowing to the place. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, these microchips are going to be available, and they'll be buy and sell. Just scan your hand like that, and you can buy the food. But you're also going to be warned if you're a Christian, don't do that because you're coming under the control, the dominion of the Antichrist. One of the things that scares me about this virus thing that we're dealing with right now One of the things is not only the death and sickness it's bringing, but the governmental control that it's bringing to our our people. It's amazing. I mean, the government's controlling us. And that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to do when he comes on the scene. He's going to control us to the point we can't even, or, or we won't be controlled, but people will be controlled to the point you won't even be able to buy and sell without the control of the scales of the Antichrist. And that's what's coming. Now let's look at the next scene. And it says, and we broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. Another version says, a pale horse. And him who sat it had the name of death, and Hades was following with him. And authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. So we went from peace to war to famine, and now we're seeing what? Death. Interesting. Uh, I I like Clint Eastwood. Always have. Make my day. Feel lucky? Punk? Right? And he's got a movie, actually, right from these verses. It's called The Pale Rider. And if you go back to that movie, The Pale Rider, uh, the girl in that scene at the beginning of the movie is reading from Revelation chapter 6 about a pale horse and a rider that's coming. And when he comes... He will bring death and hell, and that's supposed to be Clint Eastwood. Well, i got news for you. That's not Clint Eastwood. That's the Antichrist. And so you will go back in your Netflix and watch that movie. You'll see she's reading Revelation 6, the very verses that we're reading. And this last season of the Antichrist, is going to be a season of death and hell to the earth. So much so, it says in these verses, that death is going to happen in one swoop during the seven-year period where a quarter of the world's population will die. Now, how many people in the world today? Close to eight billion. That means that in one season of the Antichrist, two billion people are going to die. They're going to die from the great sword. They're going to die from famine. They're going to die, it even says here, they're going to die from wild beasts. Now, what are wild beasts? I think wild beasts might be Beasts that are contaminated or rabies or disease or pestilence, like they'll get that too, and they'll just be crazy killing people. I had a raccoon one time that had rabies in our backyard. And it, I'll never forget it because the thing wouldn't go away. Usually raccoons whoo, fly like this. Middle of the day, it comes out. And I had little kids at the time, and it, it, was, like, it, was, it was like rabied, diseased raccoon. I had it shoot it six times before it would die. And you're going, Pastor John, that's me. No, it's, it's a sick, diseased animal that needed to die. But that's what's going to be part of going on here. Wild beasts are going to be probably diseased and killing people. It's going to be a, a horrible time. It's going to be a time of just death. And think about that. Two billion pe- uh, people are going to die during this season of the earth. If there's eight billion people in the world, a quarter of the world's population, and think about that in terms of the United States, the United States has only 300-plus million people in it. That means six times the population of the United States are going to die during this season. I did the math this week. That means the population of the United States, Central America, South America, and all of Europe, that population is going to die during the Great Tribulation. This is what the world's facing during the Great Tribulation. Now let's go on, verse nine. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. These are tribulation saints that came to Christ during the great tribulation because of the word of God, because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each one of them a white robe. White as a robe of righteousness. And they were told that they should rest for a while, a while longer until the number of their fellow servants and the brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed also. Now, we see here tribulation saints. These are people that got saved during the great tribulation, and then, because the Antichrist is going to kill anybody that rebels against him, doesn't take the mark of the beast, and then they're martyred, persecuted and martyred. And now they're before the throne of God, and they're pleading to God, God, how long? till you take this Antichrist out? How long till you bring judgment? And they're pleading for justice right here. Now, hold on a second here. I thought all Christians are gonna be gone after the rapture. Yeah, all Christians that are Christians right now will be gone, raptured. But here's, you gotta see this. This is God's grace. Even after he gets all his kids out of the earth during the rapture, you know what God does? We're gonna see next week. He saves 144,000 Jewish people. 12,000 from every tribe of Israel. We're going to talk about that next week. And then later after that, he brings two witnesses. And these two witnesses, some scholars believe, are actually Moses and Elijah brought back to earth to preach the gospel to the whole world. And then after that, it even says later in the book of Revelation, it says there's going to be an angel dis- dispersed from heaven, and that angel is going to go to every tribe, every nation, every people with the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. Is God a God of grace or what? After he gets all his kids out of here through the rapture, he still wants to save. He still wants to save. He still wants to save more and more people. And if we have the heart of God, church, if we have the heart of God, that'll be our heart too. We want to, we want to take as many people with us to heaven as possible. We want to get as many people saved so that they're not going to, amen, so they're not going to face this great tribulation that's coming. Let's be busy about our Father's business. Let's, hey, as we say here in South Carolina, let's get her done. Let's get her done. Let's get her done. Let's lead as many people to Christ as possible because that's the Father's heart. And God's, God's heart is a heart of grace. Even when he's bringing judgment to the world, he's saving people, saving people, and saving people through 144,000 Jewish evangelists through two witnesses probably Moses and Elijah and then even an angel that's going to go to every tribe, every nation and every people and I say praise God for that. And then it says in verse 12 and I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of made of hair and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth. Interesting. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Now, we're seeing cosmic disturbances during the Great Tribulation now. We're seeing here a great earthquake. And what God is allowing to happen is these, these plates underneath the ground start moving. And a great earthquake occurs. And then after that, it says... Stars start falling out of the sky like figs from a fig tree falling to the earth. Can you imagine? Talking about asteroids probably hitting the earth. And then it actually says, after the asteroids hit, uh, it says, the sky, verse 14, will split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. What's going to happen because of the cosmic disturbances, because of the asteroids hitting the earth, because of the earthquakes? Mountains are going to start falling down. Islands are going to start sinking. I tell you what, the people are going to be freaking out during this time. I was in Southern California when we got some great earthquakes. Not anything like this, but I remember, I'll never forget, I was, we, our, our, our oldest son was just born, and our, our um, mom, Wadster, came out to be a grandma. And so she came out, and she helped us with our, our, our firstborn and stuff. And I remember we had a bedroom upstairs, and she was sleeping on the downstairs couch. It was 5 o'clock in the morning, and everything started rocking and rolling. And I just went out to check on Mom Wildster, and I got to the top of the steps, and she's walking circles around the couch. Whoo! Whoo! Because the ground is just like, whoa, like this, right? And it's, it's, it's moving, and you can't stop it moving. And that's what this great earthquake is going to do too, but it's going to be a hundred times worse than that because it says the great earthquake is going to hit so hard that not only is the ground going to be moving, mountains are going to be sinking, islands are going to be sinking into the ocean, and it's going to be just catastrophic. And look at the response of the world at this time. And it says verse fifteen and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich and the strong, and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks. And of the mountains. And they said to the mountains of the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, who is able to stand? Now that's an interesting thing there. It's saying, You know, we saw before the Lamb is the one who is slain. Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. But now it says, Now we're going from grace of the Lamb to the wrath of the lamb. You don't see those things associated very often, do you? Lamb and wrath? You know, you look at the NFL football teams. You don't have, like, the Chicago lambs. You don't have, to have, you don't have you know, football teams named lambs. You think of lambs being gentle, kind. You know, mm, you know like that. <laughs> you don't think of roaring, wrath. But let me tell you something. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is. He's full of grace. Jesus is gentle, and he's humble, and he's kind. But he's also just, and he's holy. And when the time comes, he'll he'll with the Father bring judgment. And the part of the judgment, listen, is he's going to be going from holding all things together to letting them go. Book of Colossians, interesting talks about the fact that Jesus is the creator of all things. I mean, he's not only the creator, but he's also the one who holds it all together. It says in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created both in heavens and on earth. Go back to the uh, Colossians. All things that are created both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And notice this, verse 17, Colossians 1. He is before all things, and in him all things, in Christ, all things hold together. You know what that's saying? It's saying that Jesus right now is not only the creator of all things, but he's holding it all together. And that's a really good thing. You know why? Because right now, as a earth, we're orbiting around the sun, which is 93 million miles away. And we're orbiting at a place where you know we're, we're going around the sun at a place where, where the temperature is just right for human life. Do you know if at 93 million miles away from the sun, if we were one degree further away from the sun, we'd all freeze to death. If we were one degree closer to the sun, we'd have some really good sunburns. We'd melt. We wouldn't be able to have life. But Jesus holds it all together. And listen, church, listen. He holds not only this whole creation together, He holds us together. And when our life has fallen apart, it might be partly because we're not allowing him to be our shepherd and letting his goodness and his mercy follow us all the days of our lives. And if you need to have your life not falling apart, get back to allowing Jesus to be your shepherd. And if your life's falling apart, get back to letting him hold it together, and he will. Promises that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed are those who put their trust in him. Amen. And I tell you what, one of the greatest things we do as Christians is to just submit to Jesus Christ and allow him to hold our lives together, and he will. And I want you to see in here too this, this catastrophic thing that's coming to this world. It's not a fairy tale, it's not a, a legend, it's not something that's just made up, it's not a fable. It's true. You know, there's about 2,500 prophecies of future in the, in the New Testament. 2,000 of them have already come true. The 500 remaining are the things we're going to look at in the book of Revelation and, uh, and the rest of our time together in the great tribulation, the second coming of Christ. And all the 2,000 things that have come true, they've come true to the letter, to the dot, to exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. And all these things we're studying right here, they're going to come true. And they'll come, through, come true exactly the way the Scripture says it's going to happen And so what should that do for us? It should give us a sense of urgency. It should give us a passion to live for Christ and to reach as many people as possible for Jesus Christ until we're raptured out of here. Our last church that I pastored in Wisconsin, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, uh, we started the church on the book of Revelation. And we started with a bunch of college students. We had about Fifty or sixty college students is a core group of that church, and we—I'll never forget it. We we, before we even had Sunday morning services, we did dinner at the Hoppies in the Book of Revelation every Sunday night for the six months before we started the church. And you know what happened to those college students? As we studied the Book of Revelation, they got on fire for Christ. And they got on fire for Christ to reach other college students and to reach their world for Jesus Christ too. I remember the summer after we studied the book of Revelation, we had about 20 or 30 of those college students. They all spent their summer vacation going on mission trips that summer because they were so so on fire to reach the nations for Christ. And that's what this book of Revelation should do for all of us. Amen? It should set us on fire to live for Christ To be right with God and then to reach as many people as possible for Jesus Christ so they won't go through this great tribulation that's coming. So let's do it. Let's 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 not be lukewarm Christians as we saw the church in Laodicea was. Let's be hot for Jesus in these last days. Amen? Let's be on fire. Let's be on fire for Christ. Let's have a sense of urgency that soon and very soon we're gonna see our King. Christ is coming for us the church, in the meantime we're going to fulfill what he said to do and go and preach the gospel to all creation winning as many people to Christ as we possibly can and let's make sure we stay right with God during this season too because I think like I said, we are getting close all the signs of the times are in place they're all kicking in even this virus is a part of God's plan because it's, it's allowing this governmental control which is going, to, is going to lead the way to the antichrist having total government control over the whole world let's pray church Father, we just thank you so much, God, for another Sunday we could be in your house, Lord. Thank you that your book of Revelation is not a fairy tale or a fable or a legend, it's truth. And Lord, I pray that as we study these, this great tribulation, as we get into it now the next several weeks, I pray, God, that it would lay upon our hearts a desire to fulfill the destiny that you have for us as a church, and that's to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Lord, I, I pray too, Lord, in the midst of all the conflict that's coming, Lord, I pray that we would take righteous stands. I pray that we would be the preserving influence of Jesus Christ in a world that's getting rotten. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be afraid to take stands of righteousness for Christ in these last days. Lord, I I know there's a a sense of trying to be politically correct and trying to be at peace with people that are at odds with God. Sometimes that's not going to be possible for us, Lord. Help us not to be rude. Help us not to be arrogant, but help us to be righteous in our stances, Lord, and not just try to be politically correct and be at peace with a world that's gone wrong. Lord, help us to be the salt of the earth. You say that the salt of the earth, if it loses its flavor, is not good for anything. Help us to be that salt that maintains the flavor of Christ here in this world that's going rotten. Lord, I pray too for even this week opportunities to be your light, to be your truth in a world that's dark. Lord, help us to be people that are shining bright in the midst of the darkness, God. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that needs to get right with you, Lord, may they see that this is real, this is coming, and today would be a day to get right with you, God. If you're here today and there's things you need to repent of if there's things you need to stop doing if there's things you need to cut out and gouge out of your life may today be a day they that say that's enough enough i'm going to seek first god's kingdom and righteousness and no no more compromise in these areas i'm going to be holy father i pray that the power of the holy spirit would help us to be people that take those righteous stances empower us as your church Help us to be that bride of Christ. Help us to be the body of Christ. Help us to be beautiful for the kingdom as the bride of Christ. Lord, again, even this week, use us, Lord. Help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to be people that are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Help us to shine our lights in such a way that others may see our good works and they too may glorify our Father in heaven. Thank you, Father, that you have all this under your control. Thank you, God that Jesus Christ, that you hold all things together. And Lord, help us to continue to submit to, to you, Father, so that you could do those things in us and through us that you've, you've called us to be and, and, and do, Lord. Thank you, Father, as we submit to you, Jesus. Thank you as we allow you to be our shepherd, that you follow us with your goodness and mercy all the days of our life, and we will dwell in your house forever. Thank you for that, Father we pray these things now in Jesus' name and all God's people's sin. Amen.